What's going on everybody? Mothman here. And Pope brought me back for the first time in a really long time to tell you guys to uh, make sure that you're exercising caution when you're listening to podcasts. Macabre Masters is a completely uncensored podcast. So you're liable to run into a lot of different subjects and situations while listening to this, including violence, death, suicide, sex, sexual assault, murder, pretty much anything on the board that you can possibly think of is mentioned in this podcast. If any of these things are triggering for you, then we advise that you do not listen to the podcast and we do not judge you for it. We love you. We want you to be well and we think you're great. So um, if those things don't bother you though, we hope that you enjoy the podcast very much. And uh, hey guys, can you bring me back for the outro, please? I'd really appreciate it. Guys? Beth? Nick? You guys were supposed to go along with it. Well, so Nick is Nick's Nick's gonna bring us into it. That's part of the duties of the of the MC. All right, we'll do our sync then. All right, three, two, one, fuck, fuck. fuck. <laughs> Hello, fuck. everyone. Welcome to Macabre Masters. My name is Original Nick. I am joined by Elizabeth and uh, the Macabre Pimpstress, and of course, I'm joined by Pope. How are you both doing tonight? good it was a productive day and i got a lot of stuff done but not done like i did a lot of stuff but didn't complete anything except for taking a shower which i feel like on a daily is always a win like but otherwise yeah it was a day a lot of horrible crappy shitty minuscule things happened i'm doing wonderful oh i love wonderful (laughs) be wonderful all right, so everything is wonderful now. <laughs> hey, I love Everclear, man. Word up, uh, word up, uh, what's his name? Got Alexaki, Art Alexaki, I think is the name of Lisa Everclear. Okay, sorry. No, it's all good. So, um, if you listen to the last episode, it was extremely heavy, uh, heavy handed, and it was a great, deep, philosophical, long episode. If you're listening in chronological order. We just talked about the Omen series, um, and it was a fantastic listen. Um, but today we're going to do something. Uh... Fuck King James. Sorry, <laughs> that's the name of the episode. No, I'm just kidding. Um, today it might we... as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, today we're doing something a little uh, less intense and a little more fun, in my honest opinion. We're going to be talking about the. Final Destination series, uh, all five of the movies. Um, when was the first? I mean, <laughs> where were you when this movie came out? I don't know. That's a question I feel like we've never. So this movie I was came driving out, behind I'm a log truck. Looking at the title screen on HBO Max right now. And uh, it came out in 2000, so it's 22 years old this year. God, I'm so fucking old. I remember when that came out. I was 13, like, when it came out. And I remember seeing it um, after, like, theater release when it made it to, like, stars or whatever I had on that, like, satellite 
thing my dad had when I was a kid because we didn't have cable. We had satellite because I wasn't cool like the other kids. Um, but we had like a whole slumber party because it was a Devin Sawa movie, you know, and like teen heartthrob. I kissed his poster as the little kid, like not going to lie. I kissed a Shakira poster. So I'm oh, that's not... cute. I love yeah. Shakira. I still do. Whenever, <laughs> wherever, like, baby, call me. <laughs> right. I didn't have any posters, really. I had like Christian bands. <laughs> Not when I was a you kid. You kissed I, them, didn't I, you? I didn't, like, no, I didn't kiss Skillet. I didn't kiss Skillet. Fly leaf on your kiss wall. Skillet. Don't lie. Hey, Skillet's a bunch of handsome. They're a bunch of ha- they're they're yeah. handsome cats. So I mean it. Uh, it makes sense. You know who actually in rock and roll, not Christian rock, but just rock and roll in general, who's like, uh, like just like freaking unfairly babelicious. The uh, the bassist from Smashing Pumpkins back in the day, like she was Hardcore. just. <laughs> Just like seriously, like, and then Smashing Pumpkins reunited and didn't invite her back. And I'm just like, oh, well, ooh. that was half the appeal right there. You know, just her just hanging out on the base. You know, now all you got is a whiny guy whining about, you know, you know, when, <laughs> yeah. you know, I he used to be a little boy. Well, yeah, a lot of us did. Okay, come on, Billy. <laughs> Who cares? Uh, that's obviously a joke. Uh, Smashing Pumpkins. I'm going to have that song is... stuck in my head all night now. Thank you. <laughs> Used to be a little boy. <laughs> I, 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 I freaking love that song. I love Smashing Pumpkins. Uh, Abador is really great. It's one of the ones that they were did later, and it's not as popular, but it's good. Go, everybody, go listen to Abador like as soon as you get done listening to this podcast and leaving and us leaving a five star, <laughs> <laughs> right? Okay, you guys got my, you guys got my number, man. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I think. All right, Nick, you're saying, buddy? No, I mean, um, so the I got into it when the third movie came out. Uh, I never watched them uh, in theaters, but in my hometown, which I'm moving back to, so I can, I guess, I can say, I, Chattanooga, Tennessee, is where I was born. So I, there's a used bookstore that doesn't ID you for rated R movies, and they don't like care. Uh, so I bought one, two, and three on DVD. And then I got four and five later on as they came out. So I don't know. I was kind of sneaking them. That's how I got most of my horror movies. Actually, I still got like all of them from when I was a kid. Um, you know, shout out to that <laughs> that used bookstore that just lets you buy whatever you want. I got ID'd at uh, GameStop, but not at uh, not at McKay's bookstore. Shout out. We Damn, love you, just, you just ratted them out. Now the cops are going to be knocking no, down their doors. Not. It's, I don't know. I don't know how they get away with it. I mean educational maybe i don't know yeah final destination is incredibly educational (laughs) on why you should avoid airplanes why you should avoid log trucks why you should avoid cabins with rusty nails in them it's got everything i think (laughs) i think i we should start off with the first one i think um i think i explained this to my wife the first one is super interesting it sets up the whole world the second one is the most iconic I don't remember the third and fourth one all that well, and the fifth one had an interesting twist. I mean, that's how I explained the series. If you were to like one base had a roller like, coaster on it, the third one did coaster. have a roller coaster, and that really yeah, it might have been that one. Yeah. The third one was a roller coaster, and it's got that girl that's in like every teen movie. I forget the actor's name. She's the main girl in that one. But, um, what did you think? Like, the whole premise of the movies is you have a the one the main character for that movie has a premonition dream and in that premonition it lays out exactly how and uh when you're going to die 
uh, in that moment, and then you flash back. I think the first one is the most uh, interesting. With it was pre nine eleven, right? It was two thousand, so everyone was still coming up to the gate, and uh, the first one takes place on a plane. So this yeah. kid like sees his plane explode right as it leaves uh, for takeoff. Um, and he sees all of his friends dying, and then eventually he dies, and he snaps back to reality. I think, I don't know, Oops, what's like... gravity. <laughs> um, I knew you were going to do that. <laughs> I don't know, what did you think lose. about, what did you think about the first uh, premonition in the whole series? I mean, that kind of became like the, the, the thing was the first premonition dream was like the one that set off the whole movie and became the iconic one for that movie. So... The initial premonition with the airplane, one thing that really I think it's hard to get across on something like a podcast is exactly um, how graphic that premonition was. Um, I mean, it's not like it's so it's not like he kind of has a half ass dream about it and then it happens. What happens is he actually lives it. And so you Mm -hmm. see half the airplane rip off. You see the engines go out. Um, for a lot of us flying, uh, me included, flying is a very big fear and it's something that is just, you know, it's just unnatural, um, for humans to be in the sky. And a lot of people I think love it very much and that's fine. Uh, some of us don't. And so it's incredibly, incredibly graphic. I would not be, I would not be shocked even slightly if they did research on how plane crashes happen. Although you don't generally hear much about planes ripping in half midair, yeah. but basically the whole thing ends with an explosion and the whole thing being consumed by a fireball. And, um, and so then basically what happens is he doesn't get on the flight. Everybody thinks he's nuts and then the plane takes off and then it explodes. And so it, it happens and he's not on it. He avoided it because he saw it. That scene where he sees it is so disconcerting. Mm. And every death in the Final Destination series does not reach that level of disconcerting because they kind of start getting a little silly, like a little bit unbelievable. But an airplane with an engine going out is completely believable. Like there's just it happens. You know what I mean? Um, And so I still think that's one of the scariest, not the scariest, but it's definitely in the top three for me for that. I think the thing I forgot to mention, because I do get ahead of myself, is that besides the uh the premonition dreams what the plot really is about is escaping death so when pope said he got off the plane what happens is eventually each character uh starts to die um at first i don't know exactly what it is but then the main character starts to do research and finds out that these kids are dying in the exact order they were they would have in the exploding plane um like the way the fire would have crept through the lines of the seats and like he starts mapping it out and they start getting all um, um, he gets all scientific with it. And then I think an interesting fact about the movie, too, is that at least in the first one, death is kind of personified a little bit. I don't know exactly. It's like more like instead of it just being. Thank you, Candyman, by yeah, the way, because that's really where the personification of mm-hmm. death came from was Tony Todd. Honestly, he really gave you that feel i think as they made death an unseen entity that they were fighting mm. yeah he was a uh a mortician mm-hmm. um, well a coroner technically oh, coroner. okay that's right yeah, he shows up he's only in like the first three isn't he and then he makes no like, a, he was in all five movies all five of them 
He okay. was. I just watched all five. Like, and he was in all five of them. I actually made note of that. I thought it was. I thought in the third one he was only like the voice of the devil or whatever. Well, no. So, like in the last one, I thought it was really interesting because from the first one to the last one, he's like just the coroner at the county morgue, and by the last one, he's got like a five thousand dollar freaking suit on with a fedora <laughs> and like looking super bougie. And I was like, oh well, it's good to know that death came up like over the course <laughs> of the movies. Death glowing up in this piece. Hey, uh, hey, uh, kill if this killing is his business and business is good, then I mean, that's what's gonna happen, you know what I mean? That was so, a nice throw to Dave Mustaine right there, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, straight up. Um, and then, um, the uh, oh my god, Mega Death, I love Mega Death, man. Hello, we, um, the um, so what was uh, so. I honestly, I'm be real. All the movies are a blur to me. Mm. Um, it's because really uh, they're all marked for death and they just start dying sequentially. And so basically it drives them crazy. And so they're going nuts and getting super paranoid. And like, because like death is fickle. And so like, it'll basically use anything to kill you. Yeah, Rube Goldberg's so, your death. <laughs> it's really, it, you know, death is kind of like MacGyver, like just using whatever tools are around. Like, so I'm sitting at a desk right now. And if you really think about it, here's the fun part. If you think about it, there's about 20 things in this room that can kill me right now. If something went wrong. And so, um, death does not take lightly them escaping, uh, you know, quotas, you know, I mean, we all got them. We all got jobs to do, you know, death is just trying to trying to make a living and apparently does make a living pretty well. Um, exactly how does one determine if it's a $5,000 suit or not? Anyway, that's besides the point. It's um, money, I can tell from the tags. Yeah, right. I, I, I can't tell you a JCPenney suit from a $5,000. <laughs> I don't know the difference. I rarely wear suits. I hate them. They're uncomfortable. Um, but with that said, although I do look awesome in suits. Not going to lie. <laughs> I look fucking slick. All right. So uh, there is that. But um. But that's so that's the thing is kind of like they started going nuts because like anything can kill you. Like it's like, you know, it's really so there's a there's a there's a saying on the the philosophical side of this is a saying that I find really interesting. and I think applies here. I don't remember who said it. So if anybody remembers who said it or where it's from, please, uh, you know, drop it in a five star review on your podcast provider of choice. Um, And that is uh, if you knew how many times you've been close to death or sex in your life, you would go insane. Mm -hmm. And um, so that's kind of the premise of final destination is like you like the knowledge that you uh, were close to death. And then the knowledge that death is coming after you is even scarier to, you know, the person. And if you empathize with them, let me ask you guys this. If you um, could see your death, like the way it's going to happen and you can't take the knowledge back. Once you have mm -hmm. it, you have it. Would you? Cause I would not. No, I don't think I would. I think I would be like, uh, the main character in the first one. I think I'd like pad myself up in a room and then I would like, <laughs> I'd just be stuck. And then I wouldn't be living life and it'd be super dull and boring. And then I don't know. I'd, I don't know. I, I think it would drive, it would drive me crazy. I think, because I would know. I mean, in your in your in your question, do I know the date and time, or I just know how I'm gonna die? You just know how. You don't, you yeah, know, you're see, not Nickelback yeah. in the in <laughs> the in that one music video where they all had timers above their head. Like you just 
uh, what was it? Someday, somehow, or whatever. Anyway, some um, weird movie where they got that too. But no, there was a movie. Yeah. yeah, it was after Nickelback though. They ripped off Nickelback, <laughs> and that's saying a lot. Like, who rips off Nickelback? So I just you should be ashamed of yourself, people who ripped off Nickelback. That's scraping the bottom of the barrel. Um, that's not fair. Nickelback's got some good songs. Um, just not that one, or the one before it, or the one for Spider Man. Uh, anyway, no wait. Josie Scott was on that one. That one was okay. Uh, guys, it's late. I'm my brain is not working correctly. I'm just like free associating at this point. I don't know what's going on. I promised them I was going to be quiet for this one, so no, I'm going to shut up now. Bye. No, I mean to answer your question, yeah, I absolutely would not. Um, in no way, shape. I mean, like, I don't know, Beth. Would you do this? Would you take this? Uh, this deal? Would I know how I'm going to die? Yeah. For sure. Oh, you oh, <laughs> like what? What makes you say that you were like? Why would you want to know? So, I don't know. I was writing my own eulogy, and like I, I was prolific with like these super intense like notebooks full of of like my fascination with death in my teen years. Um, I didn't think I was going to make it past 21. I was very surprised after getting sick in my mid 20s that I made it past 30 without being like severely disabled more than I already am. Like at this point, like I've spent 25 years of my 36 years thinking about death and like how I would die, what would happen if I knew I was going to die. And honestly, if like I knew how I was going to die, like I don't know that it would really change anything. Like I try to be mindful of the fact that my health is very precious and very precarious often enough that I've accepted it. Like I don't want to die before my kids are grown, but I don't really the idea of dying doesn't scare me or bother me mm. other than what I would leave behind unfinished for my family and my goals and stuff like that. That being said, like I, I knowing how I'm going to die, doesn't really tell me anything. Is it going to be tomorrow? Is it still going to be in 50 years? Is it going to be, you know, a, a, a window crashing down on my head? Is it going to be a car accident? It's going to be old age. Do I get to like die in bed with billions of grandchildren and great grandchildren <laughs> around me? You know, I, I, it, it, it more of when matters to me than how. Mm, okay, I can see that. I think I'd be super. I think I would rather want to know when, because if it was short, then I'd be doing a lot more. <laughs> a lot but more. Why? Good. Yeah. But why? Why don't, you, why don't you just act like you're? I mean, it's a country song, you know. Live like you're dying Live tomorrow like or whatever. Dying. I mean, right? No, it, there's a good there's like a good country. premise behind that. Like yeah. it's like. But I mean, I don't life have, is like, short, you know. I suppose, but even if you have a long life, it's short. You got to be rich to do nothing. I know we talked about. I talked about that at work. You got to be rich to do nothing. No, no, no. <laughs> so I think actually, so like you're gonna think I'm nuts, but mm-hmm. I actually think that fulfilling work that means something to you is actually an incredibly important part of a fulfilled life. Mm-hmm. So like, I agree. You know, a lot of people I think have this perception that like if they had just all the money in the world, then um. They would, um, you know, travel the world and stuff like that, and then their life would suddenly have meaning. Um, I actually think that true meaning, personally, this is just my opinion, I think that true meaning is found in contributing to society and contributing to the world around you and leaving it better than you found it. Mm. And that generally involves employment that no, not everybody uh, gets to spend a lot of time doing a job like that. It's generally something that people find a little bit later in life because you got to get up your qualifications and everything like that. And some people never 
get to, unfortunately. But um, so like, yeah, the idea of like just like not not working or whatever, I it's it's important, an important part of a fulfilled life um, to mean, do that, to be productive in some way. So it reminds me of something an ex-boyfriend said, and he, we were watching G3, like, with Steve Vai, and, like, all the guys play guitar really good, you know, and he was all like, if I played guitar like that, I would take my guitar everywhere and play all of the time, and I said, if you took your guitar everywhere and played all of the time, you would be able to play like that, and it's very much the same thing, I think, with, like, you're talking about a fulfilled life, if I knew when I was dying, I would do more if it was going to be a week from now, but you don't know that it isn't a week from now ultimately so why is that stopping you i don't know i think like pope said if it, if it is fulfilling um fulfilling employment then it's definitely not where i am now where while it is great and it's it's pretty awesome um it's not what i want to do um everyone knows i'm sure everyone knows exactly you want to be a firefighter yeah, boy exactly mm. so i mean and i'm not even gonna know like so at the time of this recording i applied uh reapplied for firefighter and then i will be scheduled for the pat um just over a month from after this episode comes out if they even accept me so that's the physical assessment kids yeah, phys- the pat physical assessment um so i mean i'm i'm working towards it I, that is yeah. ultimately i think that is ultimately the thing is right now i'm in this weird spot where i'm making Enough money to support my wife and I, but I don't have what I want to do yet. So I'm in this weird thing where I'm like unhappy because um, I don't get to do what I want to do, but I have enough money to like do other stuff. But it's like, it's not fulfilling. I've played, I just play Halo all the time. And it's like, I played Halo 12 times. And even though I stream it, I mean, I don't get fulfillment out of that, but. Uh, so like we're ordering the firefighter books now so i can be ahead of... is her dad gonna get them for you i'm not sure we we thought about like asking if he would sponsor because he definitely earned it he um was a firefighter for a very long time just retired right before i met sarah like i think 2016 is when he retired and i met sarah in 2019 so he was in the fire service from 89 or something like that all the way up to uh 2016 so very long time um and then uh he retired and he got a really good retirement benefit before they changed it and ripped everyone off back around the atlanta area i'm not going to call it which one um and now he teaches firefighter he teach well he teaches trainers he teaches those who teach other people he loves teaching that's see he's getting to do his fulfillment job he loved being a firefighter but he loves being a teacher. So he loves teaching firefighters. Um, shout out to my father-in-law. And so he makes a lot of money now because he's earned it. So, I mean, if he wants to get the books for me, that's a thing. I would rather send him the books and be like, hey, are these the good ones? And then he can tell me back, here's some better ones for you. Um, he's given me a few already for free because he, uh, <laughs> I don't want to say out loud, but no one else in the family wants to be a firefighter on like none of his children and no one in the other, like all of his nieces and nephews don't want to be a firefighter. So there's only one person showing interest in firefighting and that's, that's me. (laughs) 
So one of the things I kind of want to go back and address is you asked like um, kind of about the first movie. And I think that there's some very different points about the first mm-hmm. Final Destination that we don't see necessarily um, in the other movies. Like in the other movies, there was definitely more of a focus on what cool new deaths can we come up yeah. with, right? Um, whereas there was a certain level of seriousness um, in Final Destination that does make it more believable. Like you did say, Pope, the the idea that it's on a plane for one, um, it to start definitely has a, a sort of intrinsic fear to it. But also, like, there was this relativity where, like, the kids were kind of already disconnected, like the ones that survived. There was the one couple, Kerr Smith and his girlfriend. Um, but then Ali Larder and Devin Sawa didn't get together until the end of the movie. And they're all yeah. like, babe, I'll be with you forever. You know, but they didn't start out that way like they're both super awkward and didn't really talk to each other and whatnot um but there was like the movie actually took itself really seriously the first one did that we don't see i think until kind of in the fifth one it it gets to a point where it starts trying to take itself seriously again Hmm. um and we have this thematic thing through all the movies where it's not just the death that we see like or the the major cataclysmic event that people survive in order to to defeat death or or subvert death but it's the things leading up to it there's the knob coming off of the chair there's these little menial mundane things that are just kind of inconvenient that happen um at the beginning cataclysmic event for all of the movies i think in the second or third one somebody punctures their finger on the chair of the bus or whatever it was like little things like that um and it they made it more fluid in the first movie which made it a lot easier for the first movie to really get under your skin and scare you i know people who will absolutely say it's still their movie like it's the one that really messes them up and i think it's because the acting was better the storyline was better. Um, the deaths were outrageous to some degree, but at the same time, like you really felt the panic of the teacher as she's laying on the kitchen floor, right? Like after all of everything that led up to her being impaled by her own steak knife, like like it, it was a lot. Um, but it's like a fear that everybody has when they're home alone. Like what's going to happen if I slip and fall in this towel? The rest of the movies didn't really have that. Mm. We have scenes with nail guns going off in stock houses. We have the the thing with the, the roller coaster. There's all kinds of things, but very few of the deaths in the subsequent movies, I think, really were based on normal phobias or normal things that people just randomly every day think about you know um and maybe but I'm they wrong. did they did invent a few new ones yeah. sure sure let's talk about guys. log trucks for a second i mean well i was gonna say what's your guys's favorite death in the whole franchise log truck I hands mean, down no questions asked i still won't drive behind one i promise I, you i won't i mean my favorite death probably I'm not sure. Probably in the fifth one, um, where the guy thought he got out of dying. Spoilers for the fifth movie. But then the plane falls on him anyway. Because, like, I don't know. I mean, to bring up a point that you talked about, I think the first one, and this may sound really convoluted, the first one I think is the most realistic. (laughs) And I I think it's the most grounded in reality. The second one, and I watched a video on this. I don't remember who it was, so if, if anyone knows. But... The issue with the second one, while it is the most iconic because of the log scene, the rest of the movie kind of isn't as good as uh, the first movie. But 
the thing that I think that the second one got wrong is that it was it was all focused on like adults, really philosophical, weird adults. Whereas like one, three, and four are centered around teenagers, and I think like I don't know something about the teenagers makes it a little. I don't know. I I've, I don't know how to say it. I feel more gr- more grounded when it's like these teenagers trying to find out what's going on, and it's like their friends rather than like a bunch of disconnected adults who, you know, one of them almost got cleaved in the head with the gigantic log. I don't know. Sure, well, I would say you're completely correct in that. Actually, in the fact that we see the the pretense of the movie and the theory itself that these kids are paying attention to things that maybe adults aren't and that's why they're aware they become aware of these premonitions like there's a lot of theory behind like why um it is but i definitely think that you're right in that one and two and three personally i thought um were kind of more cohesive Hmm. um or one and two and five i think were more cohesive than like three and four were um they just made more sense the connections to characters together and to deaths together and to why people are invested in who's going to die next like why do we even give a shit we don't see that as much in all of the movies so much as like the first one parts of the second one and then the fifth one so there's a thematic thing that i think that um is worth bringing up and that is that one of the things that makes it disturbing when you have uh, teenagers actually being the ones who are in danger is that when it comes to teenagers, there's an inbuilt perception that they have their entire lives ahead of them, right? Like they're worried about stuff like college and, you know, where they're going to work one day and what their girlfriends, why their girlfriend's leaving them on red. Although when the initial one came out, that wasn't a problem. But uh, now it is. Um, and so stuff like that. And so like there's that perception like these kids like they they have this large span of time and now they don't. Right. Adults, on the other hand, you know, they they die pretty frequently. I mean, even people get cancer around 31, 32. You know what I mean? Once you start getting a little bit older, like things get really dangerous. And um not saying that being a kid isn't dangerous. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying that like uh, adults, <laughs> you drive to work every day. You got a 50 times more chance of dying driving to work than you do on an airplane. Like it's just it's statistics. So um, I think that's one thing that makes it disturbing too. And um, that's something that's used to really great advantage in a lot of different media, especially in the horror medium, is the fact that like you have this inbuilt like um, – like when it comes to kids, like you just have some built assumption that they're going to. Sure. Well, that's what makes slashers the as as profound and prolific as they are, because it's a bunch of teenagers making stupid decisions. You know, we have the rules of, of slasher films, you know, and being a teenager in a slasher film is almost a guaranteed death sentence, especially if you're not like of the utmost moral character. Oh, yeah. You know? they, they're like almost morality tells them that way. <laughs> it is, and like, but look at like the movie They, where it, like sex actually kills you. Being a teenager and doing what teenagers do was like literally a death sentence, where you're passing on death like an STD, essentially, right? Like we see. So I think that it is poignant that you point out that that that's really thematic and why it is more impactful having younger actors um, and stuff. I think there was better planning 
two, like for the first one and the fifth one versus the other three, mm. where the story was a little better. The acting was a little better. The camera quality and cinematography was a little better, yeah. um, where they didn't really give a shit. They, I, I really think they kind of phoned it in just to see what because that was like really the beginning of the gruesome factor right like it was before saw it was oh, before yeah. hostile like we did not have i mean saw was revolutionary in its gruesomeness and and, and whatnot and so like this was kind of the next big thing before that in the evolution of horror movies where we're going to really see what we can do to fuck with your mind and and freak you out which was what made it so big for our generation you know we were huge into it and you know ali larder didn't hurt i'm not gonna lie um that <laughs> ali larder said, don't hurt anything except my heart <laughs> i have like one of the least common like favorite deaths the guy who plays stifler in the first movie you know, from American Pie. Dude, when Sean William dies, Scott. <laughs> when he dies in the first movie, like, I literally, like, I, I, I couldn't believe it. Because he's just sitting there going off on this tangent. And then the train goes by. Yeah. And they don't even decapitate him all the way. They decapitate him, like, a third of the way. And that shit blew my mind. Not to be facetious or, you know, no pun intended. But it really did. <laughs> like, <laughs> it blew me away. I was like, wow. Because I've never really seen anything like that in horror before. Like, we, we've seen scary Hellraiser skin peeling shit. We've seen, you know, all kinds of other stuff. But just murdering people for the sake of killing people. Like, in, it, it, there's no actual bad guy. Like, we hadn't really seen that in horror before it was kind of revolutionary for our generation i think i think the thing though um is that um one thing on the slasher thing i think one of the reasons it's so popular too is because all of us do dumb stuff when we're teenagers and so you watch it and you're like man if there was a slasher following me around when i was a teenager i'd have been dead like 50 times over <laughs> Easy. If I had to hang out with right. Juggalos, a hundred percent, bro. Right. Like, but everybody I, I knew well, was Well, half the Juggalos grew up to be slashers, so I'm just uh, saying. That's like, a honestly. joke. That's a joke. I'm down with the clown guys. Don't don't get mad at me. Woo, we woo, used to have a scoops. joke when I was a kid that anybody I knew that would hurt me or like would make me rape me or kill me, I was probably friends with. Like I had a rule. Anybody that was scary enough to me that I should probably avoid them, I would try to befriend them because it came in handy. And like that's really how I where i am today with this like big scary tattooed bearded dude is because i was like i like you we should be friends <laughs> meanwhile i can't take jason to like the elementary nearby without people being like lock my car doors you know but that's how it was i don't know i i think i, I think I, that no go ahead i was too i i intentionally sought out the freakiest people um i also sought out the biggest guy in the school uh and that was to be friends with him and to hang out and uh i i had kind of tactics like that too and it's kind of like it's like curtailing issues before they happen absolutely uh, it's a little bit smart and some of the best friendships i ever had but when you read a way. lot and you're really nerdy and completely socially awkward like it makes sense to make friends with people who are bigger and meaner than you wow. yeah it was yeah exactly yeah, super easy to be uh i was super outcast growing up um going to school at a country school that's 90 percent white i did 95 i went white. to school in ludowissi fucking georgia <laughs> like, <laughs> so like nobody's even heard oh little kid cat oh, hey kid cat oh too bad we're not doing video there's a cat on screen now which which one which one is this that's french fry hi french fry nice to he meet said, you Bye, Fuck french, you fry. Guys. <laughs> french fry has been taking lessons from baff and matt um he said my brother has a mouse and i must destroy him 
for those of you who don't know, my my cat's name is uh, is Baphomet Levi McRae. He's named after uh, Eliphas Eliphas Levi. Um, so um, who created like our modern day understanding of what Baphomet looks like? You can just go look up Baphomet and his signatures <laughs> on the bottom. Um, with that said, uh, yeah, no, it's um, but so that's the first thing. The second you thing you said that, but like I had this image of somebody lifting up Baphomet's skirt. Like they're just being like this big hoop skirt and somebody just lifting it up to look for hey. his signature, like on his little goat legs. Hey, Baphomet, Baphomet. I mean, Baphomet's the original gender bender. All right. Baphomet stacked. All right. Baphomet is a brick house. Okay. <laughs> so like I wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me if occasionally Baphomet likes to get out of all that goth, you know, occult stuff and occasionally wear a nice summer dress. Like I'm, I'm with it. Baphomet, like you, you I'm going to need that boots. in a t-shirt, please. <laughs> a baphomet in a summer dress <laughs> yeah but with like sunflowers all over it <laughs> I'll, I'll talk to tatiana she's better at that kind of stuff um uh, i you know actually i might be able to make something like that i can make that you know i got you i got you, Word. I got you homie. just for you just for you i'll never release it officially i'll just give you one okay so with that said um i think that the problem with hollywood in my opinion well there's a lot of problems with hollywood but one of the main ones <laughs> Is that they take a good concept and just take it way too damn far? Just they like always do that. And um, what's up? Oh, <laughs> well, King James took bad concepts and took them way too far. King King James is not being smothered immediately upon birth was a bad concept. Um, shame to his mother. Uh, word to his mother too. Uh, anyway. Uh, dude, I swear to God, the ghost of King James is coming for me, and I'm not scared at all because it's King James. Um, Start invoking him on. It'll be fine. There's going to be a celebrity death match of King James versus <laughs> Just King in my on. living room. Um, and so uh, <laughs> that's crazy. So um, I, the problem is, is I think like Final Destination was especially, you know, a few of them were really well thought out. and like, But like what came from that, like what evolved from that, is like a lot of films where basically humans are uh, their meat on a butcher's block to be carved up by somebody mm -hmm. really mean, you know? And so now we're like freaking desensitized to it. Like, it's just like, I mean, like me and Tatiana were watching House of a Thousand Corpses uh, last night before we recorded. Um, and um, it's uh, like the, you know, Sherry Moon Zombie starts straight up scalping this dude on screen. And I like realized like, you know, that it didn't even, there was exactly zero, exactly zero like reaction from me. Uh, Tatiana is different. Tatiana has her own things, but it, for me, who's desensitized to it from the lineage of movies like Final Destination, yeah. it was just like another day at the office, right? They unveil, you know, Dwight or whatever his name is. They Dwight unveil him and he's half fish. And it's like, okay, that's that's really cool. That's cool art. Like, party on. And you're supposed to feel something. You're supposed to feel empathy for these characters. Um, it doesn't hurt that the characters in that movie were actually uh, the the good characters, I guess. I'm putting up bunny ears. The good characters, like the, the, the people who get lost, you're supposed to empathize with them. And I thought they were just complete asshats. And, I mean, come on, Dr. Spaulding and Sherry Moon Zombie. Like, how do you beat that? Sorry, you just can't. Um but uh Sid Haig but um I don't know I think so that's the thing today is now we're like have movies that are getting increasingly increasingly yeah. increasingly gory 
and we're increasingly desensitized to it. But what I will say is I don't necessarily know that there's a lot of fear that that translates to real life, but I don't think so because every time I've seen a real dead body in my real life, it has been absolutely like my empathy for them is overwhelming. Like, I'm just like, you know, especially if they die badly. Like I saw um, a person who was dead on the side of the road from he crashed his motorcycle and I saw and he was there and he was his there was it was really graphic and we have a guest on here, so I'm not going to get that graphic with it, but it was it was very clear that he was incredibly dead. And, um, and it really wrecked me. Like, it was just like, it was like such empathy. Like I can't imagine the terror of getting into a, a bike crash and the terror of dying in that manner. And, um, cause it's a really, really, really hard way to go out. You know what I mean? And, um, hopefully it was quick at the very least. So I don't know that the desensitization I think only applies really to fiction for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but there is concern that I've heard that um, it applies to real life as well. But I don't know necessarily if that applies. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, don't, I think you're correct. I think uh, movies now are increasingly trying to one up each other. Like right now at the top, I think it's hereditary is the top for both psychological and goriness. Um, even though it wasn't like over the top gory, it was uh, Charlie's head. I don't, <laughs> don't want to say tasteful, but it's, it's more realistic. It was shocking. Yeah, it was yeah, shocking. Um, so I mean, you got like psychological horror movies, then you have um gore horror movies, and you got like a combination of the two, like hereditary. I don't know. I think movies are just trying to one up each other, and I think maybe eventually we'll start seeing subdued horror like uh like the olden days of nineteen twenties. I don't know. You ever seen the first Frankenstein? Really goofy. I love that movie. Uh, first King Kong. Uh, all the universal horror movies. I don't know. Something about like, I think maybe we might see a resurgence of subdued horror. But to your point, I do know um, I have not seen a true dead body. And I, I know I will eventually. I mean, I've, of course, I've seen fixed up and presented nicely at, uh, at a funeral. Funerals and um, stuff, yeah. Um, but I have not seen one yet. But I realize in the field of the 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 field that i'm going into i will see many many and i will be uh instead of seeing one motorcycle accident i will probably see 50 or 100 in my career um it's different when they're in situ man yeah. it's completely different than something like a funeral because i mean and we've I, all been to funerals so it's in situ is creepy eventually i and i have heard that the only way you can translate real life to getting desensitized is being in that line of work like I'm sure our dear Elizabeth here might sort of get desensitized to seeing dead people. I, I know I definitely will because uh, I have family members, my lovely father-in-law, who um, sort of got desensitized to it. Um, and he can tell you the crazy stories like it was yesterday, and he'll remember it, but he doesn't get emotional about it. He he feels bad for them, and he felt bad for them. But eventually, I think he told me a really horror horrible horrible story but he said eventually he was like you know what it is my job to make sure that this person passes from this life to the next one with some dignity as a human being so he did get desensitized to it while there was others who had to go throw up in the bushes you know 50 feet away he's like i'm not gonna do that this is a human being in front of me um so i don't know you eventually you even do get desensitized to that 
but I think so, you're correct. So for you, for those of you who don't know, Beth is going to be uh, um, work at a mortuary. Um, is training right now is actually starting school uh, very soon again for that. So congratulations on that. But actually, I I actually feel sorry for Beth in advance, and um, I haven't said this to Beth, but it's because the thing is, I think it's really easy to get desensitized to the standard, you know, old person dies and then they're laid out on a slab okay well that's the natural order of life but like i think when stuff like that starts to get hairy and the reason i could never go into that is because of um people who maybe we perceive as not it's not fair that they're dead yeah. like children and stuff like that uh when they come across the slab i would think that it would be i i mean i can't imagine beth is such an empathetic person i can't imagine ever being her ever being desensitized to something like that or even you um but Maybe, I mean, I don't know. I'm just, I'm speculating here. Beth, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. What were you going to say? No, no, you're fine. Um, so I have two points. One, I have watched horror movies with my children since they've been alive. Like I've watched Dexter with my kids, like when they were little toddlers, you know, and they didn't really absorb any of it. But, you know, we've talked about, I don't really censor my kids from stuff like that. If they're old enough to ask questions about it, if they're old enough to, to see it on the news, then I don't see why showing it to them in a horror, horror movie is any different. Um, I will tell you that despite having watched horror movies their whole lives, play horror video games consistently, um, my children are incredibly empathetic. If I get a scratch from the cat, mommy, are you okay? If they get hurt after they're done laughing at each other, um, they're still there to, to kind of help pick each other up. And when they see an accident, when we drive by on the road, they're like, I really hope that person's okay. I don't think that media is solely responsible in any format or medium um, for the desensitization of a person. I think that there's so much more that goes into that chemically genetically that we are predispositioned to i think that there are certain types of actual trauma that you yourself have to go through that you can't get from watching a movie before those things start actually changing your character as a person to not feel empathy or compassion or or anything for a, a life you know um that being said the other side of it is having been through a lot of trauma in my life um, it is why I am so empathetic. It, it, it is why, because I know what it's like to be on the other side of that. And I am in no place to judge how you got there or what you did. If you need help, that is our job to connect with each other as human beings. Um, I have been called to death work my whole life. And there are days where I still wonder, am I going to be cut out for the job when the first infant rolls through? Am I going to be cut out for the job when the first domestic violence case rolls through? Am I going to be cut out for the job when the first sexual assault that ends up in death comes through? Those are the things that really scare me about the job. But I feel called to honor those people. My uncomfortability is nothing compared to what it took for them to get there. I don't get to compare my trauma or my grief to that at that point. The only thing I can do is try to give them some dignity, try to give them compassion, try to honor them in regardless of how they ended up there or who they were. Death is the great equalizer. And it doesn't matter if you were King James or you were Mother Teresa. Eventually, you still end up on the same slab, right? And a death care worker to truly honor that profession means that you don't get to judge 
whether it was the victim or the serial killer, if they're both dead, you have a job to do and a job to do well because they're still somebody's child or partner or sibling, what have you. Um, you don't get to desensitize to that. Do you get to disassociate your job from your personal life? I'm sure that absolutely comes down to it where you have to learn how to do that. But being able to just stop caring sure i can separate myself from trauma i can separate myself from all kinds of things but i don't think that i will ever find any one case or another to be any less deserving or or any more in a position um of my time or or of my compassion or or my ability to do my best work and there are so many different places in the death industry for people to do that um, which is why, like, I, I want to be a mortician, but I don't know that I want to be an embalmer. I don't know that that's the route I want to go. Um, I don't know that I have what it takes as an artist to be a reconstruction artist, which is what I would love to do. Um, but that takes real skill. It's a real talent to be able to fix up a person to look like they haven't looked like since before they had cancer. It takes a real talent to reconstruct a skull so that a family can say goodbye to their kid who dies in a motorcycle accident. Um, and that's what I would like to do. I just don't know that I have the chops for it or that I will. Um, but there's tons of other places too. And so even in the death care industry, you're not just idealized to have to work in one part of it where if you get burnout, which you absolutely do, most morticians um, that aren't in it in the family business usually make it about 10 years on average before they're like, I I can't do it, which is the same with like ER trauma surgeons. You know, you can only work at ER and in triage for so long before you can't do it anymore. Well, and that makes perfect sense. I think um, one thing that like uh, fundamentally, um, like fundamentally kind of props up our society is ignorance of just how much suffering there is and how much violence there is and how much death there is and how much all that stuff there is. And so we're talking about the frontline people who, you know, morticians and uh, the death care industry, and then also the ER doctors and stuff along those lines. We're talking about the frontline people who well, see and first responders too. Like Nick was first responders about. as well. Huge. So that was one of the things, even here in little old Park County. Um, so I'll give an example. Uh, the coroner's office here is super tiny and they have a volunteer program, which is essentially like, Think like victim's advocate, but instead of it being like a legal thing, anybody who is at the scene of a, the, uh, of a death in Park County is entitled to, through the coroner's office, to have a volunteer come and sit with them and help them make final arrangements, help them make phone calls. Um, a couple of years ago, there was a case where there was an infant death. It was um, a baby about six months old, and one of the firefighter first responders that showed up on the scene had a daughter at home that was born on the same day. And when you go through things like that, it is way hard to come back to the living. I, this is what I hear from most people who work in first responder, death care, hospital care. It is way harder to come back to the well, to come back to the living and look at them the same versus how you look at somebody who has passed, no matter how they've passed. Um, because we find neat the way, or the, we have the desire to relate to people and to relate the events that we have in our external life to our internal life to help us process them. And for some people, that's really where the burnout comes is that they can't keep picturing their wife or their mother or their child in these scenarios. And that's really where it becomes tiresome is they can't disassociate from the two. Does that make sense? It does. 
It does. I imagine it's incredibly difficult um, to do for sustained amounts of time. I, I don't even think I could do it for one day. So the people out there doing it for 10 years are gangsters as far as I'm concerned. Word. Um, I mean, honestly, you're not wrong. I agree completely. I've heard some crazy stories from all different kinds of jobs or, or employees or professions that are in that kind of work. And like, it's nuts, man. The stuff that you hear, the stories that you hear and that people like Nick was saying, they can say it with a straight face. Whereas if you haven't kind of been roughened around the edges yet to that sort of thing, it's very shocking. Um, it's a lot akin to like being a domestic violence survivor and you tell a story about one bad night and everybody in the room looks at you like with like, wow, that's really traumatic. And you're like, wow, this shit was really funny. You know, it, it's how people perceive it. Um, and you don't really get it till you get it. It's um, I, I think that I think kind of that's uh, I mean, life is just hard, you know what I mean? And it's harder for some people than it is for others. But uh, I do think uh, I think Nick and his firefighter, because um, he will be passing that physical assessment, of course. Uh, I think I think Nick um, and the firefighter thing is a little different, and the reason is because your job at that point is to save people. Now there are going to be, of course, things when you arrive and there's dead people on the scene and stuff yeah. like that. But the primary job of firefighters is to get people out of fires. So yeah, that's kind of cool. Keep them keep them out of Beth's office. Sure. You know? well, I mean, his job is way more dangerous. The other side of that is, is where I see them after, we'll say to be plain after the blood is pooled, so to speak, Nick is there fresh on a scene. Like you might still have a person actively being engaged in criminal activity. You might have um, school shootings where yeah. you have active shooters on site. You know, you are in a much more precarious position physically for yourself at that point side of it is you're seeing it like as it's happening potentially you know yeah. you're right there and, and you're doing everything you can and still can't necessarily stop the crash from happening right yeah. um you're there when it's fresh blood on the scene the smell is meat you know it's not like decay there's a very big difference there's things that are tactile that people don't really think about in the difference between the ends of that spectrum i could never do nick I, I could never be a firefighter. I could never be an EMT. Um, I have way too much passion that where if I were to be actively in a scene like that, um, I don't know that I could stop myself from doing things that people in that position aren't supposed to do, you know, where I, I would be that mother trying to run into the school. I would be that person trying to punch a guy, trying to beat up his wife in the mouth. Like, I don't know who the fuck you think you are just because that's who I am. But you can't really do that when you're in that position. You know, you have a much more raw side of it. The other end is I get closure in my job. I, oh, yeah. I am at the end. You never will find out what happens to 95% of the people that you see. That's true. That's true. <laughs> I mean, yeah. That'll be like one of the deciding, not, I mean, not the, the deciding factor. I, I feel called to this. I mean, there is like the firefighter calling. It's a, it's a thing. I don't know. I just feel the need for it. So it's, 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 it's going to see like, am I really cut out for it? Because it is, it's going to be I rough. I believe like, in you, Nick. I think I you mean, can do it. Yeah. Same. 100%. I was wondering. I think you're made for it. I, I, I'm like, at this point, I'm always like in the movies. I'm always like, man, what was the firefighter thinking when he came up and this poor kid got his head sliced three quarters off? <laughs> it makes me think about Midsommar because I remember yeah. we talked about it for Midsommar where the girl uh, basically inhaled the gas and yeah. her body was in the thing. But 
the um and the family died the carbon monoxide poisoning but see guys that's why i am in sales <laughs> <laughs> like I'm, I'm in sales i, you I just draw awesome i don't know man comics. i I can't. I oh, well, there's the comics, right? Stuff, comics, but, and you yeah. podcast, yeah, and you podcast, <laughs> but none of none of those involve like um having to separate trauma from real life. Um, yeah, I, I was a soldier, yeah. but uh, that even that was kind of um you know a easier experience than a lot of soldiers go through. So the point here being um respect to all of our morticians, all of our fire people, all of our EMTs. All of our people out there on the front lines taking care of people and helping them either before or after when the blood pools or after it's done. Uh, you guys all rule. Uh, with that said, final destination. Do you guys think that um, that was not the best segue ever, but I'm really tired. No, so I liked it. Good. It was good. Yeah. Uh, uh, so final destination. Let me ask you guys this. You guys are you guys know a lot more about the movies than I do. Um but um, do you guys think that like uh they're worth seeing? Like, do you think that people should should go see them? Yeah, I, I do. So. I, I at least once, at least the first one and the last, at least the first two and the last one, three and yeah. four were kind of hooky. Um, I think the big thing that really needs to be shouted out about the movies is that the song in each movie there's like a different song and so like in the first movie we have john denver's rocky mountain high and then they finished it in the last movie with dust in the wind like and i really just think if you want to to laugh at a horror movie and you want to laugh at kids being stupid and you want to enjoy some pretty ridiculous ways to die like the nail guns through the face they did twice like how are you gonna repeat yourself in the same franchise first <laughs> off um, you know, but it's it's good. It's hokey. It's lighthearted in a way where you can't really take the movies after the first one very seriously. Um, it's a great way to spend an afternoon if you're doing nothing else. You're sitting there doing your like cross stitch. Watch the Final Destination movies, but like don't go into it expecting it to be something that it's not. Mm. Watch the Omen for that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Watch the Omen for that. Yeah. Um. I'm sorry, Nick. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I think you should definitely at least watch the first one. If you're not going to watch any of the other ones, at least watch the first one. Maybe the second one for the iconic scene and then probably probably the fifth one, because I, I think you could. The fifth one is separated enough to where you could absolutely just watch one, two and five and get the whole gist of everything. It gets convoluted with three and four. It did, so, really. I wanted to do something before we get out of here on the spot. Um, Macabre Masters is going to make. We're, we have been hired. This is a fake scenario. We've been hired to make final. Well, I'm glad uh, you read precursor with its fake because yeah, I, I was getting really sure. excited. What are we doing? Yeah, we've been we've been hired to uh, create Final Destination Six, and so we all have to come up with one really really obnoxious Final Destination style death for uh, for the characters in the oh, movie. Man. So on the spot, I'm going to start with Beth. Beth, what is your Final destination style death that you that you create. The more obnoxious, the better, because so, that's the world we live in. I don't have one. You're gonna have to give me a second. But our um our guest for the show wants to know if she can say hers. I would I would love that. That would yeah, be absolutely. great, guys. Everybody, welcome, uh, Dragon Lord, Master. Dragon, Dragon Master. Master.
you unmute. You turn the microphone. There you go. Click that. Allow that. There you go. All right, here we go. All right, well, apparently now she is um, <laughs> microphone shy. Hey, some people are. That's that's completely She's a thing. Got a giggle box. Um, so I'm going to assume that whatever scenario in which I am having somebody die, um, it is going to be very indirect and very out of the way. Like there is going to be like all these little things. Like it's going to be like series of unfortunate events where everything in the house could kill you, and then you think that they're out of it, and then like something cataclysmic like falls out of the sky, like straight piano out of the window. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's Final Destination style. By the way, no, before we move it forward, it would be to Nickelback. This is how you remind <laughs> me. That would be my song. Can we? Um, I, yeah. So make sure you pick a song on the next one. That's awesome. Um, can we have um Dragon Master? Can we have them um mute again? If they're not going to say, it? okay, yeah, cool. I got Thank it. You. Appreciate it. Just uh, audio guy notes. All right, <laughs> what what do you got for me? Hmm. Hmm. I. If it's on the spot and I can't think too hard about it, I mean, probably I'm thinking Final Destination 6 needs to take place in 2004. I think Halo 2 just came out and they're rocking out. I think maybe GameStop wasn't invented. It's still EB Games, maybe. Oh, well, man. it's a movie, so we can make up whatever timeline we want. Okay, so, so it's 2004, EB Games slash GameStop. Um, they're in a mall. They already survived. This is like death number three, and they are nonchalantly going about their lives. They're the skeptic, you know. They're maybe the one that like turns everyone to be like, hey, maybe we should look into this as number three out of the whole group. I think this it's, it's a teenager, and he is stalking Halo 2 all on the shelves in the back room. He's got every copy ready. Um, he's got, you know, it's right before Halo 2. Like, Halo 2 just launched. They're not ready to, like, have everything super out yet. I think a gigantic, he, he like, he's crawling up the steps onto the top shelf. He falls off the ladder. Okay, you think he's about to die. He hits his head really hard, and he starts seeing... He gets a blurry vision. And all you see is the Halo theme starts playing. And then all the discs start falling down and shouting around, and you think he's going to die from that. But really, it is the giant six-foot Master Chief statue. And the Halo theme plays right as it crushes his head. <laughs> and he's at number three. So he's at number three out of the nonchalant... <laughs> I'm not... I don't get this. This isn't real. This isn't real. I'm going back to my job at EB Games making... 725 an hour. You crazy. <laughs> you all just don't get it. Halo 2 just released. So I'm going to go play Xbox. Got to have priorities. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be me, though, honestly. I'd be like, yeah, people are just dying. I'm going to go home and play Halo. All right, Death by Master Chief. All right, Beth, you got one yet? No, not really. I don't like I can't. It's so hard for me to think about like whatever it would be like it would be something super cheesy like a piano, right? All right, I got one. I got one. Here's the deal. Here's what happens. This is actually based on a fear of mine I've had since I was a kid. So there you go. All right. So uh, basically what happens is we got a group of teenagers just like because teenagers are more effective as we talked about earlier. We got a we got a girl. <clears throat> and she is just learning to ice skate. So they're in a frozen lake and she's just figuring that stuff out. Right. So what happens is, is there's a little bit of uh, rotten ice in the middle and they don't recognize it when they go out. 
So uh, you got to have the fake out death. Okay. So by the way, Winter Wonderland is the song for this. So uh, they, uh, <laughs> so they got to have the fake out death. So what happens is, is they're out there ice skating and she's not really good at it. She's just now learning how to do it. It's like her first time. Maybe there's like her Devin Sawa style, cute guy of that day uh, hanging out with her, trying to help her and stuff. And it's all cute and stuff. And so what ends up happening is uh, they go on the dry, they go on the dead, the, 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 the rotten ice and it starts cracking. And so you think, okay, they're good. Somebody's going to fall in this final destination, but that's not what happens. What happens is she uh, skates back. She gets out of the way in time. You take a sigh of relief. She starts skating again, but she's terrible at it. So she hits one of the cracks falls and somebody else who was really good, they were on the other side of the lake the entire time, and they were, like, doing tricks and stuff like that. Somebody doesn't see her, and they do, like, a trick, like a freaking, like an Olympics-level freaking trick, and their their ice skate blade goes straight through the middle of her fucking forehead <laughs> and kills her. And then, so it goes straight through it, and then the woman, though, that was doing it, was doing the trick, you know what I mean? She's a little freaked out, but she's a professional. She's really good at it. So she keeps going. And so the imagery you see is like her brains and all that stuff being spread across the ice as the person skates and then turns around and sees the, like the mess that used to be this girl's face. And she's like, ah! right. And then it goes into the next one. That's my off the top final destination. I used to always, I used to like be afraid of ice skating. Cause I was afraid I would fall. Cause I'm, I'm actually really good at it. But before I got good at it, uh, I was afraid like I'd fall and my limbs would be splayed out and then somebody would drive by and just cut off my fingers. So um, that's uh, that's kind of that's kind of where that came from. <laughs> just like I'm trying to think of like things I was like innately if like scared of a feared of as a kid like and I had like a pretty twisted like brain because like I'm all neuro spicy right with all the like obsessive thoughts so when things became scary for me like I would fall asleep at night thinking about them like when things would make me uncomfortable and it would become obsessive like I couldn't help it and so like I would fall asleep thinking about like power drills going through my head like when I would see a movie and i lost you guys again every time it glitches out when i start talking it's so crazy um so like i would fall asleep thinking about like power drills like going into people's heads or going to my head like as a little kid or um like being eaten alive by maggots because they only eat the dead flesh right so like how long would you have to sit there with maggots like before they like started actually getting down to fresh flesh and so like that was always stuff that scared me so like I don't know. It would be something horrible. Like it's Final Destination 25 and they're all in a nursing home on like wheelchairs. And there's a cat that looks like Mrs. Baylock that tells everybody when they're going to die, like in Dr. Sleep. Right. Nanny Bay. <laughs> all right. <laughs> and there's like this nefarious, you know, woo woo. It's all like a Lawrence Welk song playing in the background. And we've got like Somewhere Over the Rainbow by Judy Garland, you know, something super like cheesy, like generally reserved for older generations and like somebody chokes on their applesauce it's super lame like because we're all old now There's happy <laughs> and, like, <funny. laughs> everybody's hoping for nanny bay and judy garland to visit their room next because we're just like yeah exactly and i don't like tapioca pudding let me tell you i would absolutely 100 percent choose death by like choking on my own applesauce than i would tapioca pudding any day fair enough See, so what that had me picture when you said the Magus thing and the old people thing 
is basically the scenario is you got an old lady. She's at home. She's waiting for her son to come. But her son gets uh, because remember, death is hunting him down at this point. Right. So her son was supposed to die. So he actually like uh, her son isn't supposed to die, but death gets him sidetracked. So he's sidetracked. His tire blows out on the way there. So she's alone. She's going to be alone for the foreseeable future. So what happens is she actually has uh, some kind of disease, like some flesh eating disease or something like that in her leg. And so she stumbles in the kitchen. And this is when the horror gets fun, because what happens is she stumbles in the kitchen. She falls. She can't get back up. Maybe she broke something important or something. And she can't Does she have up. a life alert. She doesn't have a life alert. She skimped on it. You know, she saved up that money for Taco her Bell. Her son is a jerk. And now she's what here. Um, and so um, and so what happens, though, is a fly lands on her leg. Just one fly. This lands on her leg. And then, yeah. And then she's. <laughs> She's forced to sit there and watch as it like lays eggs and then grows and they hatch and then they just start eating her slowly. If I have fucking nightmares tonight because of you, like I'm good on the disco rice. I cannot wait. So there's this the one disco rice. <laughs> rice. That's that's the industry term for maggots. It oh my god, that's insane. Why? Is the forbidden rice or the disco rice? Because it's what it looks like when you come up on a body and it's just a bunch of maggots. It looks like little dancing rice. Like it, that is the term. That is both very funny and very morbid <laughs> at the same time. Um, so you're not legally allowed. The only thing that mo almost every mortuary does it. The only thing that really kills maggots on a body is kerosene. There is uh... one embalming fluid that I know of that you can buy um, made by the Frigid Fluid Company that kills maggots on contact but otherwise it's kerosene and obviously like if we're in a, a mortuary you can think of all the reasons why kerosene on the is counter might idea. not yeah. be great not to say that like methanol based embalming fluid is going to be any less flammable really at the end of the day but like yeah it's just generally frowned upon in the industry to do it um so but buying embalming fluid specifically made for it is expensive too but like i would literally rather you I was sitting here weighing whether I'd rather be burned at the stake or go for the maggots. Like, cause you know how I feel about fire as a way of death. And that's a hard no. And then you throw maggots and I have to choose like they did what I can't do it. See, I would so, rather burn the house down. So now we know I that Beth's ultimate nightmare is to wake up and outside, look outside and it's raining. And then she goes outside to get a little bit of rain in her life, but it turns out to be flaming on fire maggots. Uh, and it's just raining on fire maggots. Turns out that's the third seal that got broken. And uh, that's the new prophecy that happened. It's Sam because Neil of Pope's other girlfriend, Nanny Bay. They were and, out doing rituals together. Yeah, Nanny Bay and me, man. We were, we were taking care of business. <laughs> <laughs> she's awesome man. she's so creepy um but yeah so yeah if you have nightmares i do apologize um but i don't know I blame I you. i'm, I'm gonna head. blow you up if i wake up later and can't <laughs> sleep because of this like i'm gonna be like this is your fault i'm gonna tell your wife i'm gonna be like tatiana do you know what your husband did well you know the thing is is like that's the funny thing right when you get the keys to somebody's fear you you've had the keys to my fear since you know me you know what i mean like I'm really transparent about that stuff. So, um, I mean, you you are on first name basis with King Paymon. I mean, you could fuck me up if you wanted to. Just know um, that I could, but I don't ever use it against you. 
I mean, I'm just saying if you're mad enough, please don't. Uh, that's, that's scary <laughs> I stuff. I never would. I never I'm going to say this. I actually was editing the last episode, The Omen, and now ever since that thing happened with the clicking, with the tongue clicking that I heard on a recording that wasn't supposed to be there, every time I hear noises, like when somebody adjusts their chair or something, I get freaked out. And there was a part in the recording where I said something stupid and either somebody whispered in the background that wasn't on the podcast or one of y'all whispered like, oh, my God, or something like that. Like this, this dude's about to say something really stupid. One of the two. There was an unaccounted for audio clip in there. And I think it was just one of you. Maybe you got a text or maybe you were like, oh, my God, is Pope going off again? One of the two. That's what I'm choosing to believe. Um, that was when I'm we started talking start about clicking my throat. Like just randomly in the yeah, middle of like I thought about doing that like during a recording just to put it in there and then I was like I'll freak myself out like <laughs> I'm you know I, I guess I can't get the right pitch with it hold on it's not quite there yeah but see then I actually have to click my tongue like I can't just click my throat without actually like I'm gonna have to practice this now just to fuck with you there you go right there um. Because, like, when you're editing, like, you got, like, headphones in and you're sitting by yourself just looking at sound waves. And it's, like, it's a real good time for the creep factor to get brought in. Um, all right, Nick. Um, I think it might be. I think it is about that time. We are well over what we thought we were going to do. I think we got philosophical again. Um, <laughs> this is why you guys come, man. You yeah. come for the philosophy. Come for the movies, stay hey, for the philosophy. But we're way earlier in time, so true, like not true. everybody it's, is it's going pretty to good. die. Afterwards. I get to I get to go to sleep and then wake up and have a nice day at work. Um it wasn't bad today. <laughs> so um I don't know. I mean any last words for um the Final Destination series? I know we already told everyone to at least watch one, two, and five. So not about Final Destination per se, but I would absolutely say that um, I was really excited to find out that Devin Saw is like still acting and like doing stuff. So he actually um, was in the Chucky TV series that they did a year ago, hmm. which if you haven't watched, I highly recommend season two is supposed to be coming out in the next couple of months. Um, Devin Saw was kind of an underrated actor, like for, for his time, he had a lot of like cute boy heartthrob competition. And um I think that he didn't get kind of the same credit that he would have otherwise. Um, like and like part of that, Prince Jr. and stuff like that. Right, exactly. But yeah. at the same time, like he went into the horror genre and he's kind of stayed there, like in his career off and on. He's an incredibly funny guy. Um, and I think it's really cool to see where people from that era of movies and horror are now. And like a lot of them are still in the horror genre. You know, Ali Larder ended up going on to do Resident Evil like which was amazing oh, yeah. and huge i for a period in time wanted mila jovovich and ali larder when they're like back to back with the shotguns like i wanted that as like a whole thigh piece as a tattoo just because they were super fucking hot yeah um, she was in um she was in the one in the desert right the um not resurrection um i think the, it was the third one after life it wasn't afterlife it was the one before afterlife yeah it was the third one it was the one in the desert and deuce bigelow mel gigolo's uh mentor was in it as well as the romantic interest yeah i haven't seen that movie in a long time either dude uh freaking uh god what was the ashanti ashanti was in it dude like oh my god i that was my favorite resident evil movie i really liked it a lot but anyway i'm sorry i didn't mean to cut you off no, no, you're good. I just, I think it's worth it just to kind of like check out 
Um, what uh, they're doing now with the Chucky series was fucking great. Honestly, it totally brought back um, God, the guy who does the voice of Chucky. Why can't I think of his name all of a sudden? So, but it had uh, Jennifer Tilly and it had uh, what's his face's daughter, like who was in the movie in the franchise too. And it's not the Chucky movie, like the reboot, which is cool because, like, while that was great and Mark Hamill did a great job, they could have done that without making it a child's play movie. I was a little pissed about that. Anyway, sidetracked. <laughs> um, I, I think that Devin Sawa did a great job, and I don't think he was really, because he was a teen heartthrob, ever got the credit for how good of an actor he was. Um, and I'd like to uh, kind of see more. I guess he's got a couple more horror movies that are supposed to be pretty C-rate, B-rate coming out in the next year or two um, that I'd like to kind of maybe go over as we do more B-rate movies we've talked about later in the future and stuff like that. Because um, there's a lot of actors from that era that did movies that kind of didn't get that credit. Well, don't forget also that Devin Sawa was Stan. You know what I mean. So like he, he definitely had some stuff. And but we we de- we see that all happen all the time. I mean, if you think about um, Robert Pattinson, who's just a phenomenal actor, he's kind of just now getting his props. Yeah. But he has a long line of just excellent movies outside of the Twilight series that he did. I mean, The Lighthouse. He was fucking wonderful in The Lighthouse. Like just killer. Sure. Um. And he was also great as Batman. And I mean, so like um, you see that you see that with kind of like the heartthrob type dudes. Um, But, um, you know, it's it's kind of part of the industry. I'm glad that some of them are really great and they learn how to navigate it and, you know, kind of come out of that era. Although I'd argue Robert Pattinson is kind of still a heartthrob. I mean, he's, you know. It's not. Like I still he got... think Devin Sawa is a heartthrob. So, like, honestly, like, I but you know, Devin Sawa's a babe. I agree, one hundred percent. Um, I was related with him because my name's Devin. So I was always like, oh, it's another Devin. Except he <laughs> had an O and not an I. Uh, I mean, not everybody can be this awesome. Uh, so he came close. He was like Icarus. He flew too close to the sun, mm-hmm. and uh, he should have had the I. Anyway, um, so. <laughs> that was so fucking stupid okay with that said um okay uh so i i um my like my view on the final destination movies is that um i i i do think just for historical reasons they should be watched um at least the first few of them um because you guys are right like i, I hadn't even thought about that they were kind of like the archetypical uh kind of like in your face very graphic death kind of movies and then from there it progressed to where it did to these days is kind of obnoxious but once again just like the omen those movies are still a little bit more reserved than a lot of stuff that's coming out today i mean you know but i mean it just depends on your own personal taste and what you're into but i think they're worth seeing especially the first one which is just creepy just like fucking straight up creepy i didn't find the other ones that creepy but that one was just the other ones really just made me laugh yeah they're, they're obnoxious it made me think about um it made me think about god of war um, the the game series and the reason is because what they were talking about was uh, one thing they got sick of and the reason they stopped making the god of war games that they were making um one two three ascension and then the two psp ones is because they kind of got in an arms race with how obnoxious they can make the boss battles um if you've ever played those games the boss battles are very huge the scale is gigantic it's just it's very intricate and they were like we got in an arms race and we just we couldn't go any further than that like it was just impossible um and we didn't want to try and i think final destination kind of got like that too like they were kind of in an arms race to see who could have the most obnoxious 
uh, death. You know what I mean? And and the first Final Destination movie, that was a huge part of it, but it really wasn't maybe the point. Um, and then it kind of became the point. You know what I mean? And so uh, that's Hollywood sequelitis. But it doesn't mean they're not worth seeing. It's just when you see any film, you should always try to take it for what it is. Uh, I think a lot of people just fail to do that. Like they see the new Jurassic Park movie and they like they can't take it for what it is. They're too busy comparing it to the first one. Mm -hmm. And sure. it's like they're two completely different things for two completely different timelines. Same mm -hmm. thing with these movies. Same thing with Saw or anything else with a lot of sequels. Uh, Halloween or Child's Play or whatever else. So uh, Beth just illustrated that perfectly. The TV show took it ex for what it was. You know what I mean? So um, that's my thoughts on that. I have a question. When did you say God of War came out, the first game? The first God of War game came out in the PlayStation 2 era. I don't know what exactly what year it came out, but it came out in the PlayStation 2 era. So, because, like, I didn't watch God... I never saw a God of War game ever until, like, two years ago when Tiny picked him up. And um, do you know what God of War reminds me of? The Xena video game that they had on Nintendo 64. Never played the Xena. So it is a, almost an exact ripoff of like how big they had Kronos at the beginning when you have to yeah. fight him as Xena. Like everything about it was like totally they took God of War and just ripped off Xena from Nintendo 64. Like completely. It was wild. I think there's a strong possibility that it was the other way around. I mean, God of War when it came out was revolutionary. For sure, but. Nintendo 64 was to PlayStation 1, so, like, it's almost, hmm. I don't know about the timing that when it came out. Hmm. I'm not, I'm not sure. All so, I know is it was, like, 98, 2000, somewhere in there that Xena came out, I'm pretty sure. That would be a freaking shame if they ripped off another game in order to, because, I mean, God of War became, like, the yeah. way it's played became iconic and just completely ripped off. In the last episode, we talked about Dante's Inferno on Xbox, which was just a, a shameless ripoff of God of War, right? Sure. So, like, um, it's a, it would be a shame if that's the case. I am not willing to discount it because I just do not I'm going to do some research now because I want to know. Yeah. Um, I, I want to know, too. I'm curious because uh, maybe I need to play the Xena game. Xena Warrior Princess. Oh, yeah. All right. Um, You're about to say, uh, before we do any of that research off camera, uh, any shout outs? Pope, you got any shout outs this, uh, this, this fine morning? Um, you know, I, I, I do have a shout out. Um, I want to do one of my, like, one of my, like, thoughtful shout outs because occasionally I just do dumb ones because I'm an idiot. But, uh, I actually do want to give a thoughtful shout out to all the people out there who their, like, livelihood and their job and their calling is to help other people. Um, that's, uh, like, that is, like, the, in my humble opinion, Pope of the Macabre Masters podcast, podcast, that it is my belief that that is the highest calling possible. And, um, it, whatever it pays, whatever, you know, the, the progression, this kind of stuff that we like to, in society, base, you know, our perception of jobs on and our perception of careers on, whatever that is, it doesn't matter in my opinion, uh, because you are leaving the world better than you found it and um, leaving people's lives better than you found them. So that's um, it's incredibly important. And I think the whole thing collapses without people uh, providing services along those lines. And, uh, and it extends outside of like mortuary people and all that stuff. It's the psychologists and uh, you know, it's extra service. Yeah. It's, it's people who, who they serve. 
like serving is in my opinion the highest calling and um you see it a lot with religious people like the whole idea of religion is to serve right is to serve a higher power and um in my opinion the highest power is other people and so um respect to all of you out there who do that um and do it every day and you don't have to square the circle between what happens in your job and what happens at home and all that good stuff like it's a it's it's a I, I can't relate to how difficult it is. I haven't had to go through it, but I feel like um, I empathize. And um, every one of you out there who are listening to this right now, that that's a part of your life. Please know that there's at least one dude on some random ass horror podcast who respects the shit out of it. All right. So that's that's my shout out. Um, so I have two. Uh, firstly, shout out to all the teachers who went back to school with kids this week and who are fucking exhausted and forgot how loud and bright and, and just overstimulating going back to school can be y'all are the real mvps um and then shout out to everybody who tips your waitress or delivery or driver or, or or whatever who doesn't treat people in the service industry or in the retail industry or people who work in hospitals like shit i can't tell you how many times just in the last four days going to the hospital with my son i have had people tell me how refreshing it is that i am not an inpatient asshole while they are trying to get their computer to work or learn how to operate a new computer system so shout out to all the people who are decent to, to your service industry workers and to your first responders and to your pizza delivery drivers and your daycare teachers like i'm just i really like have seen a lot of people especially in the last two weeks um, everywhere I go who are just overwhelmed with a whole bunch of being treated like crap from different angles, whether it be customer service or their boss or, or whatever. And if you're one of those people that like doesn't do that and you're totally cool when you're standing in line and you're like, whatever, man, you do your job. I'm still sitting here either way. Like me rushing you isn't going to get it done any faster. Good for you. You are, are like god tier level you're our favorite listeners honestly like because you're the people that that make the world go round with acts of kindness and patience and compassion and really that's what it's all about like pope said it is the human connection and being here for one another and i just want to see a little more of that and a little less of the douchebaggery that i have seen lately lovely shout outs i think the only shout out I have is since I did a really sweet and kind one, uh, mine is just going to be shout out to all the listeners. I, I feel like uh, I don't say that enough. So that's my one shout out is for all the lovely and wonderful listeners, especially those who give us a five star on Apple <laughs> podcasts and um, and those who go to the Patreon that we don't have yet. So. Um, those who want us to make a patreon yeah, we love yeah. you yeah leave a review that telling us how much you want a patreon all right with that demand it <laughs> <laughs> all right with that i'm gonna go ahead and say uh good night and goodbye we love you bye bye <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>